God, we love you, and we give you praise, we give you thanks for all that you've done and all that you are. God, we look forward once again to hearing from you this morning. Uh, no, one, no one came here to hear from me. No one came here to, to hear me preach. We all come to hear from you. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words, not my words, for your people on your day in your place. God, we are here for you. And if we are here for any other reason, we are here for the wrong reason. So God, I just pray that we would uh, open our hearts and minds to hear from you in, in maybe a brand new way this morning. Would you challenge us and shape us through your word? We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, again, in the final week of our series on the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, We have been going week by week in Revelation 2 and 3 through these letters that Jesus sends to these seven churches. And we have uh, kind of gone at this in a way to where we're trying trying to glean a little bit as much as we can from each church. How do we, as our church here in Fresno in 2019, how do we take heed of these warnings that were given by Jesus to these churches in the first century. How do, we, how, do we, how do we hear these words and apply them today? And so we've, we've looked at six of these churches already, and kind of out of these six, there's kind of three pairs that we've got going on. We've got kind of Ephesus and Thyatira, who, who kind of have the same struggle of, of which one do we uphold? Do we uphold love or do we uphold truth? And, and in Ephesus, he's, they've, they're upholding truth. And in chapter 2, verses, verses 1 through 6, Jesus writes to Ephesus and he says, look, I I see you, I see your deeds, I see what you've got going on, I see that you are doing all the right things, I see your hard work, I see your perseverance, I see that you are testing all the people that are coming in and and trying to teach you truth. I see that you're testing all of that. They They are upholding truth to the highest. But Jesus says, I have this against you, you've forgotten your first love. You're upholding truth but you're not upholding love. And in the city of Thyatira, we see that Jesus commends them on on their love. I see your deeds. I see your love. I see your service. I see all of these things. I see how you care for your community, but I have this against you. Essentially, you've let truth in that is not truth. You've upheld love, but you've not held on to the truth. And so we've got these, these kind of this pair here between Ephesus and Thyatira. We've also got a pair between Pergamum and Sardis. And, and kind of Thyatira might be thrown in there as well because they've, they, are, they are people who are allowed, they're kind of in a battle for the mind in both of these cities. There is worship of all, all these other gods and all these other things and these churches are trying to focus and trying to, trying to get down to it. But there are people in both of these churches who are making the argument that it's okay to do both. It's okay to worship other things and worship God. It's okay to compromise. It's okay not to protect the truth. It's okay to just, in the, in the, for the sake of inclusivity, just bring everybody in. I told you about the altar that we found uh, in, uh, oh man, I forgot where it is, in one of these cities that we just talked about. The altar uh, that we found had actually a symbol of of Zeus on one side of it. It's a Christian altar, but, but there's a symbol of Zeus on it. People are worshiping all kinds of things in the synagogue. There's, there's worship of all these sorts of things. And so uh, we have in these two cities a battle for, for the mind, which truth will prevail. 
Will the gospel prevail or will any, any number of all these other idols and gods that we worship prevail? And then we've talked about two churches that did it right. The church in Smyrna, Jesus didn't have anything bad to say about He says, I know, I know you, I see you. I know that you are poor. I know that you're in poverty, but you are rich. You have me. And then last week we talked about Philadelphia, who again, Jesus says nothing bad to. I see your deeds. You are, you are holding on to my word, and you have not denied my name. Because I, I, I commend you, I encourage you on this, I see you. So today we, we close out this series with the final letter, the final stop on kind of this postal route that is going on from Jesus. Again, Jesus gives these messages to John. John, is, John sends these to these seven churches. This is the last stop. At each of these stops, all of these letters would have been read. Well, on this last stop in Laodicea is where we're going we're, we're to spend our time today. So if you want to turn there, uh, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 1064. Uh, but as you're turning, I want to just give you a little background, like we've always done on these cities. Laodicea is a very interesting city. It is a, it's a wealthy city. It's a fascinating city. Uh, there's a lot going on in this city. It's a well-known city. Even today, uh, these, the largest excavations that we have in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, are happening right here in what was Laodicea. There's this, this area that is very fascinating to us. And uh, what put this city on the map was that they were a throne city. They were a throne city. There was a very significant family there called the Zenos. And uh, the Zenos were, were pretty tight with Rome, and they were given kingship over a few different cities in, the, in this Asia Minor area. And as such, this is the Zenos' hometown, so this is a throne city. The city of Laodicea is a throne city. They kind of they held on to that. They took a lot of pride in that. Uh, they were on a major trade route. They uh, it was on a major trade route to Ephesus, really. And so there was a lot of business, a lot of commerce, a lot of stuff going on there. It was a very wealthy, it was a very affluent city. And their ingenuity was top-notch, well beyond their time in this city. They had all kinds of things. They had all kinds of great things that they were known for. They were well beyond their time. And in 26 AD, their ingenuity was tested a little bit. There was a little contest uh, uh, who would be able to build the temple to Tiberius? If you remember, back in Smyrna, we talked about the temple of Tiberius. So we know, uh, just spoiler alert, they lost, right? Smyrna got it. Smyrna got the temple. Uh, Laodicea did not win. And when they, were at, when they asked for a reason of why they didn't win, Rome basically said this, you had insufficient resources. And that, that phrase... That kind of just sparked something within this city. This was kind of the, the rallying cry of this city. We will never again uh, have to depend on anyone else for anything. We will never again have to depend on anybody. We are going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We are going to do this all our own. We're going to be the most self-sufficient city ever. And to an extent, they were. Right until and there's an earthquake again. The last few weeks we talked about earthquakes in these cities. There was one in, in 60 A.D. and Laodicea that leveled the whole city. Rome comes in and says, "We'll pay for it. We'll help you get along here." You can guess what Laodicea says. Thanks, but no thanks. 
You didn't pick us for your city. <laughs> you offended us. We don't want your money. We're going to be the most self-sufficient, self-driven city in the area. And they were. They refused to take the money. They built themselves up. And they built themselves up again into a very wealthy, affluent city. And they, they again, they had just this, their ingenuity, they used their ingenuity to, to just an extent that is unheard of at this point in time in the first century in this area. They had uh, a central banking area, right? They, they minted their own coins. There was, they had just some, some amazing things going on here in terms of their wealth. They were, they were known for their wealth and their, their banking. They were known for the way that money happened in this city. They were known for that. They were known for their clothing. They, they were kind of like the, the, the fashionista city of the area. They had a lot of the high fashion, the designer clothes, were made here in Laodicea. They would take the black wool from the sheep and make these black coats that were just super expensive, and they sold them. They were, they were the designer clothing city of the area. They, they, they were renowned in medicine, particularly when it came to the human eye. In fact, there was a book written in the first century uh, by a guy named Demosthenes. He writes a book in the first century about the human eye that is used all throughout until about the Middle Ages come along. Right, there's, there's, some, there's some special people, some special things going on in this city, but probably their most famous ingenuity or their most famous invention uh, had to do with water. This city was located on a high plain. There was no water that was naturally flowing to them. There was no way to get water. And so what they did was they built in the first century an aqueduct system. They got their cold water from a city just east of them in Colossae. We read about them in the book of Colossians. Paul writes to them as well. Jesus doesn't write to them. Paul writes to them in, in the book of Colossians. They get their cold water from Colossae. They, they, I don't know how, they pumped it in. They used an aqueduct. They, they get cold water. They get their hot water from a city just west of them called Heropolis. They're, they're, they're getting hot water from one area, from these hot springs in this area, cold water from another area. In fact, we know from some of the uh, excavations that even some of these people had indoor plumbing in the first century. This is just a, this is a crazy city. These people knew what they were doing. They were intelligent. They were self-sufficient. They were, they were self-made, pull your, pull your bootstraps up kind of people. This is the kind of city that, that is Laodicea. Unfortunately, even with this aqueduct system, there were some seasons where the cold water wasn't coming in cold because it was too hot. And there were seasons where the hot water wasn't coming in hot because it was too cold. And so they had this, this kind of, this will make sense in a second when we read this passage, but they had an issue with lukewarm water. They wanted cold water, they wanted hot water, they weren't getting either one of them. Not to mention the fact that along the way there were a lot of animals, and animals, just like us, have to use the restroom. They did it in the water, so much of the water was undrinkable. So this is, this is kind of the, the city at the time. You can imagine a church in this time, in one of the most self-sufficient, most ingenious cities Imagine the potential that this church had, using all of their gifts and all of their talents to go out and just to reach people for the gospel. 
Amazing potential. But what we read and hear and what we know from this letter to Jesus, there's not really a whole lot of good things going on in this city in terms of the church. This city has, has chosen to look inward, has chosen to be self-sufficient, even if it means that they don't even need Jesus anymore. And so this is the city and the church to which Jesus is writing in Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. If you want to, uh, you're probably already there. I need to turn there. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And again, we're just going to kind of go through and unpack as we go. Uh, I'm going to stop along the way. We're just going to unpack it. Here's uh, every single one of these letters so far. At the beginning, Jesus has introduced himself in a very specific way. Right here, he does so as well. To verse 14, to the angel and the church in Laodicea, write this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Do you want to stop there? These are the words of the Amen. What does Amen mean? We don't really see that used as a title, right? We say it at the end of our prayer. We say it when we pray. Sometimes we, we say it if we hear something and we, we agree with that. Why do we say it when we agree with that? Why do we say it when we agree with something? Well, because the word amen literally means let it be so. Let it be so. So when someone, when I'm preaching or when someone's preaching, they say something good and someone says amen, that's what they're saying. They say, let it be so. I agree with that. Amen. At the end of our prayer, we pray and we pray in the name of Jesus and we close it with amen. Let it be so. Jesus introduces himself as, as the Amen. The amen, the true witness, the faithful and true witness. We have this, this contrast that we see here in a second of, of Jesus being the faithful one, even when the church is not faithful. Jesus is the true witness, even though the church is not being a true witness. We see Jesus being the amen, the final say, the, the let it be so. And he keeps going. The ruler of God's creation. This, to me, when I read this, it just made me go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. In him, all things hold together. In Jesus, in Colossians 1, we see that, that, that in him is the, the, the image of the invisible God. That nothing was made without Jesus. In, in him, in Jesus, the author of this letter, all things hold together. And this is what Jesus is introducing himself as. He's saying, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. I am the ruler of all creation. And then here's the, the I see you moment of this church. And again, I see you normally in these letters has been, I see you. Here's some of the good things that you're doing. This is Typically like the encouragement part of this letter. But there is no encouragement. Like This is the opposite of last week in Philadelphia. And last week in Philadelphia, there was nothing bad. There was only good. I see you. Look at all the good you're doing. Here in Laodicea, we have the opposite. I see you. And, and here's what he sees when he looks at this church. I know your deeds, verse 15, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. We've, we've heard this, this verse before, I think. This is a pretty commonly used verse as we talk about, you know, 
I'm guilty of it as well. In youth ministry, I use this a lot. I think even here I use it a lot. How are you doing? Don't be lukewarm. You need to be on fire for Jesus. You need to just go all in. Be all in. Be on fire. Don't be lukewarm. And so we talk about this. That's a great way to talk about this first, but in this context, it's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is, is talking to this church, and, and he's saying, I wish you were one or the other. Just be cold, but be hot. Don't be in the middle. And again, this goes exactly back to what was actually happening in the city with their hot and their cold water. They're not getting hot water. They're not getting cold water. They're getting lukewarm water. And not only is it lukewarm, it's, it's undrinkable. So, I mean, if you drink the water in the city, they, they're going to want to spit it out of their mouth. This is, this is, he's saying, look, this, this water situation that you have in your city, this is how I feel about you. I wish you were one or the other. Lukewarm water is not good for anything. Hot water is good for cleaning, healing. Cold water is, is refreshing. Lukewarm water is, yeah. Although I've been drinking it for my throat lately. <laughs> but that's, this, is, this is what Jesus is saying. This, this word is, I mean, this, this, I want to spit you out of my mouth just doesn't really do it justice either. I mean, this, this word for this phrase, it's the Greek word emeo, which is where we get the word emetic, which is if you overdose or if you have a kid that swallows something they shouldn't have swallowed and you take them to the hospital, what they give you is an emetic. They give you this thing and you drink it, and what happens is it causes such kind of violent disruption in your system that you, you vomit, you throw it up. This is the word that Jesus uses here. This is, this is not just like, a, oh, that tastes bad. No, this is like causing such a violent reaction that he, there's nothing else to do but just to throw it up. This is, this is how Jesus sees this church. I wish that you were hot or cold, but since you are neither, since you are look, lukewarm, I just want to vomit. You can imagine this church at this point in this letter. Remember, these are read out loud in the church. And they're the last letter, so they've heard all these other letters. They have just heard the letter to Philadelphia, who is doing great. They basically get like the stamp of approval from Jesus, thumbs up. And they're like, we got this. We are self-sufficient. We are good. We, we are good. But then they read this letter, and just the, just the first two lines of this letter Here's who I am, but, and I know who you are. You're lukewarm. I want to vomit you. Man, that's, that's harsh. That's, that's some harsh language that they get there. But, but, I mean, the question comes up. What are they doing at this church to make Jesus react to them this way? What could, it, what could they possibly be doing that would make Jesus just want to just vomit them up? What, what are they doing? Well, in verse 17, here's Jesus who kind of begins to tell us what's happening. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say, I've made it. But you forget who made you. You say, I'm rich. But you don't even realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, 
and naked. I think it's really interesting that three out of these five things, he's saying, you don't realize that, that you're poor. You take pride in your wealth. Your city takes pride in your wealth and how you handle money. You don't realize that you're poor. Your city takes pride in the medicine, particularly in terms of the eyes, but you don't realize that you are blind. You don't realize that your city takes pride in its fashion, in its clothes, but you don't realize that you're naked. None of that stuff matters. Jesus is basically saying, you, you think that you have made it, but you have not. You're missing something. You're missing something. So how do, we, how do we fix this? Jesus begins to counsel them. In verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. What is he saying? You need, <laughs> you need spiritual wealth. You're all right with your earthly wealth. I get you. I, I know you're making some money. I know that you are wealthy, but you need some spiritual wealth. You need the gold that is refined by fire. You need wealth from me. You need clothes from me. You need spiritual clothes to cover your sinfulness, to cover, cover up your shame, to cover up your guilt. You need these white clothes, which is in contrast to the black clothes that they make here in the city. You need these white clothes that can cover you spiritually. And you need, you need some salve on your eyes so that you can see. You need to be able to see, the, 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 to, to just remove your spiritual blindness so that you can see what I have for you, what I'm calling you towards. You can see the purpose that I've given you. You can see my will for your life. You can, you can see. You need these spiritual eyes. You need all of this. I'm counseling you to do this. And he keeps going. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Basically, he's saying, I love you. I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. I wouldn't call you out like this if I didn't love you. Those I rebuke, those I love, I discipline. Those I love, I rebuke. Those I love, I call out. So be earnest. Be willing to take this. Be willing to to see what I'm telling you. Be willing to accept what I'm telling you. Don't be so defensive. Don't don't just just allow me to tell you what I see. And when I say it, be earnest. Go for it. Full on. Let's go. Let's change some things and repent. Remember, repentance is just a, it's a change of, of heart, which leads to a change of mind, which leads to a change uh, in direction, which leads to a change in life. This is what God is calling them to. He's calling them to change. Now, I, I say often that God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you there. He refuses to leave you that way. This is exactly what he's saying to this city in Laodicea. Look, I, I see what's going on here. I see that you're hot or cold. I wish, I wish you were one or the other, but instead you're in the middle. You're lukewarm. I just want to vomit you. I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to call you out on some things. Here's what I see going wrong in this city. I want you to hear me, and I want you to repent. I love you, but you need to hear this. 
I love you, but you need to hear this. You need to hear what I have to say to you. And you need to turn around. You need to change. Verse 20 is another familiar verse for us. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is a verse that sometimes we hear like in, a, in an altar call situation, you know, preaching and, and typically it's, this is kind of lobbed out for those who don't know Christ. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And that's not wrong, it's, I mean, it's very true. Jesus is standing at the door of their heart and knocking as well, but Jesus is writing this to his church, to people who claim to know him. People who claim to follow him. And he's saying, look, I, I am here. I'm standing at the door and I am knocking. You, are, you have locked me out of my own church. You feel like you don't need me, but you need me. Amen. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Let me in. Verse 21, he finishes out with this. Verse 21 22. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Remember what I told you about this city? They took pride in being a throne city, being the city where the king lived, king's hometown. She's saying, look, like, there's a bigger throne. There's a better throne. I sit on it up by my Father in heaven. And if you are victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne. You take pride in being in the hometown of a king. Why don't you come sit with me on my throne? To the one who is victorious, I will give this. I will give them, I will invite them to sit, on my, sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This letter is not an easy letter to read for a church. Again, there's no balance between disapproval and encouragement. There's not like the, you know, lead in with the good things and then let them have it. There's none of that. It's just, look, I see you and you're not doing well, but I love you and you need to change. Let's come out of this together. My prayer this week has been that we would not be a lukewarm church that we would not be able to receive this letter in which Jesus says to us as a church, I just want to vomit. That's not the, not the words I want to hear. Not the words I want us to hear. I, I, and if that is us, if that is you, I want to, just, I want to ask you, like, where, where is your temperature right now? Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you in the middle? Jesus says, be one or the other. But don't be, don't be lukewarm. Don't be in the middle. I mean, what, what is it that drives you every day? 
Is it the gospel? Is it Jesus? Is it living for him? Or is there some other things in your life that are driving you? I mean, is there a spiritual urgency in your life? Does Jesus feel welcome in your life? Is he just standing at the door knocking, waiting for you to open up? I want you to think about that this week. I want you to think about where you stand in all of this this week. And I want you to not just reflect on this church, but, but all of these churches that we've talked about in Revelation. Where do you stand in terms of holding up love and truth? Do you hold them both? Is the, is the balance out of tilt? Have you let things into your life that are not gospel? That are not truth? Have you followed those ways? Have you followed those teachings that are not consistent with Scripture? I mean, I think those things lead to this church being able to get this letter. I don't even, I want to spit you out. I want to vomit you. Look at all this stuff you've been doing. Where are you? And where are we? Because this church was not written to an individual Christian. We can think of it as an individual, but it was written to a church. I want to make sure our focus is on our church. Are we a lukewarm church? Are we a hot church? Are we a cold church? Do we have a sense of urgency for reaching people with the gospel? Is Jesus welcome here in our midst? Do we want to serve him? Do we feel driven to serve Jesus? Or or are we just comfortable and content, even if it means that we don't need Jesus? That's what this church and Laodicea was doing. Self-made taking pride in who they are. Self-sufficient to the point of not needing Jesus. That can't be us. I don't want to let it be us. We need to depend on Jesus. We need to give our hearts to Jesus, our minds to Jesus, our lives to Jesus, to let him guide and direct and move us where he wants us to move. Let's, let's not be a church that Jesus wants to follow. Let's be a church like Philadelphia who who upholds the word and doesn't deny the name of Jesus. Let's be a church who's willing to go, who's willing to spread the gospel, to spread the name of Jesus, to, to continue to move. Let's be that church. And let's start now. Amen? Let it be. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you thanks, we give you praise for all that you are and all that you have done in our lives. God, as we finish this series on these seven churches in Revelation, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a challenging series. It's been one where we've had to think and process and be challenged and be convicted. And God, I pray that as we come out on this side of that, that we would, we would understand how you feel about your church, what you expect from your church, and we would understand that we can't get in to some of these messes that these other churches have gotten into. God, help us to love you with our whole hearts. Help us to give you our minds, give you our hands, give you our feet, that we might go out and make a difference for you this week where we may find ourselves. 
and might the letter to Fresno First Church of the Nazarene be one of encouragement and joy. Would you find satisfaction in this church? God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And as you do, uh, uh, if you're new here, I, just, I know it might be awkward. I just want you to just hold your hands out and just, uh, I like to pray a prayer of blessing over you as you leave. So let me just pray this blessing over you. May our God, God of love and grace and peace and joy, may he hold you in his hands this week. May he challenge you as you go, but encourage you as well. May he strengthen you and empower you and give you courage this week. And may you make a difference wherever you may find yourself in your community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.